I think we got it. Can everybody hear me? It sounds okay? Is it loud enough? Okay. Amen. Well, how many of you know tonight we need to be a testimony? We've been hearing that over and over across the pulpit recently. Brother Britt's been sharing how our lives need to line up with the Word of God, how we need to be a testimony. We live in an hour of gross religious darkness as we're getting a taste of uh, dealing with these different churches and the apostasy that's, that's in them. And we know that the only answer for darkness is light. Amen? And we are to be children of light, like the Bible says. We are to shine light into that darkness, that they have no cloak for their sin. I'm going to talk tonight about being a living testimony of the Lordship of Christ, that we're to be obedient, fully obedient to the Word of God. We live in an hour when no one's holding true to the Word of God. Nobody's, everybody's going their own way, doing their own thing, and calling it Christianity. And we know that the only way to be a true Christian is to hold true to the Word of God. We know that the biblical model for a wife and a mother is not considered culturally relevant tonight. Amen? It's not culturally relevant. It's, well, I shouldn't say it's not. It is very culturally relevant, but it's not considered culturally relevant. However, we know that the one thing relevant is God's Word and that we're to be obedient. His patterns are what we are supposed to obey. What He set forth in Scripture what He tells us to be as mothers, as wives, as women of God. That is what we're supposed to be. That is the light that we are to shine forth. Whether that seems uh, appropriate for this hour, it, that doesn't matter. But we are to be examples of testimonies of the Word of God in this wicked generation. When people look at our families, what kind of testimony do they see? Just think about that for a second. When people look at you and your family when you're out in public or when they see your husband somewhere or see you in the grocery store and they see you, what kind of testimony do they see? Do they see biblical order? Tonight I want to take this a bit closer to home and I want to talk about what kind of testimony we are to our husbands. How we represent him and his leadership. And that's what I want to deal with tonight. Turn with me in your Bible tonight to Proverbs 12, 4. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture tonight, so if you have something to write it down, it would be good just to jot them down as I go through it because there won't be time to... If I'm going to get all 18 pages of notes in, you're going to have to... <laughs> you going to have to jot them down. <laughs> Proverbs 12 and 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh a shame is as rottenness in his bones. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh a shame is as rottenness in his bones. I've entitled the message tonight, Are You a Crown or Are You a Shame? Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you for your unction tonight. We thank you for the word of the Lord coming forth, Father, that we would have hearts to receive, Father, everything that you would have to say to us, Lord God, that you would change our hearts, oh God, that you would make us more like you, Father. We need you tonight. We need your grace. We need your presence to be all that you've called us to be, to be a crown to our husbands, Lord God. Oh, Father, I just pray that you would help us tonight, that you would give us ears to hear, Father. Anoint our ears, Lord God, that we might hear, Father, what the Spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says, To crown means to invest with royalty, to bestow something upon as a mark of honor or dignity, to adorn, to dignify, also to award first rank. A crown honors the person wearing it. Right? It's, a, it's an identifying object. A testimony, if you will. Amen? When you look at, at, you see somebody with a crown on, you know something about that person. Something, they're either royalty, they've won an award, but but it's an identifying uh, object that honors the person wearing it. I have a little object lesson tonight. A little illustration for... Maybe I thought this might bring it home a little more. If you could look at that and see how pretty that is, sparkling. Kings are given crowns for the honor of their office as a visible expression of their authority. Athletes are crowned for sporting events that they've won and so forth and so on. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had three, two sisters. It was three girls in there and... One of the highlights of the year for us was to watch the Miss America pageant. <laughs> and I just distinctly can remember everything about it. It's the, all the competitions and everything, the talent competition, this competition. Can you hear me? It sounds, maybe I do need a little monitor and I didn't think I did. Sounds like I'm not even on the microphone. Um, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. One of the highlights was to watch the Miss America pageant each year. And so um, I, I just distinctly remember, you know, they called all the, the, the finalists out, and um, then they, um, after the finalists were up there, then they began to say the fourth runner-up, the third runner-up, and so forth and so on. And then, of course, they said the first runner-up, and, of course, then the lady who won the Miss America pageant didn't know that, she, I mean, knew that she, of course, was, going to be the queen and uh you know she's trembling and crying and they place flowers in her hands and they announce her name and then the former miss america comes up and puts that crown upon her head and she begins that stroll down the runway you know letting everybody know and it was i it's a very distinguishing thing in my mind i can remember it when they crowned her and how she became miss america and so that crown told of what she had worked all her life to accomplish. Crowns are mentioned throughout scriptures as a reward for those faithful to the Lord Jesus. As a testimony of enduring to the end, we know that it says a crown of rejoicing, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, 
and the crown of life. And when you see a crown upon the head of a man or a woman, you immediately draw a conclusion about that person wearing it. Amen? You see a crown upon somebody, you know it tells something about them. It expresses authority, a reward, something. And just as it tells something about a man or a woman, I want to draw it closer to home and say, a wife is an identifying entity for her husband. A testimony, if you will. So just as a, this crown might set upon the Queen of England and, and crown her because of her authority, her royalty, her bloodline, we as wives are crowns to our husbands. And we represent him, and we set upon his head, and we show something of his leadership and his authority. When someone sees me with my husband, or hears me speak about my husband, or watches me as I represent my husband, what conclusion do they draw? What conclusion do they come to when they see me as I speak about him, or, you know, as if I'm talking about him or if I'm with him and just my admiration for him, what kind of conclusions do they draw about our husbands? Remember, it says in Proverbs 31 and 23 of the virtuous woman that her husband is known in the gate when he sitteth among the elders of the land. This verse implies that part of the reason that her husband has risen to the prominence it's because of her faithfulness to her calling. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. What does the crown look like tonight that you have adorned your husband with? Does it look like this? No missing jewels? Is it, is it sparkling with contentment and reverence and obedience? and love and wisdom or is it all dilapidated and the jewels all hanging out and missing it's tarnished with nagging and grief and bitterness is it a disgrace for him to even have it on ask yourselves these questions tonight just think about it let it seek down deep in your heart let things pop in your mind that you know that you've done that's not right. Just think about it. Let the Holy Ghost deal with your heart. Proverbs 12 and 4 again says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh a shame is as rottenness in his bones. By disgracing him and making him a shame, it's his rottenness in his bones. How many have ever left something too long in the refrigerator and it rotted? And you couldn't find, what's that smell? Every time I open the refrigerator, it permeates everything. Or if you had a bag of potatoes in your pantry, and you're like, every time you open your pantry, what is that? And you're looking through stuff, I can't find it. And day goes by, and what is that? And you pull out your bag of potatoes, and in the middle there is one rotten potato, but it was reeking all your kitchen, all your pantry. And everybody walks in the kitchen, Mama, what's that smell? I don't know. I can't find it. 
the Bible says it's as rottenness in his bones when we make him ashamed. I, I wanted to bring something rotten tonight. <laughs> I thought about it and thought about it as a contrast. And I, I just couldn't do that. So I tried to find something, a picture of something. So what I found was where a person had gotten bit by a brown recluse spider. And when you get bit by a brown recluse spider, it rots the flesh. And so here's my, it's kind of disgusting to look at, but I thought it would maybe drive the point home that a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that makes him ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. I don't want to be a crown like that. Amen? I know you ladies in here don't want to be that either. So, <clears throat> I want um, bones support the anatomy, right? And if there's rottenness in them, there's trouble. Because if your bones are rotten and brittle and weak, then it can't support your anatomy. So when I think of rottenness in the bones, I think of weakness. I think of weakness. When a wife disgraces her husband, she weakens him. She weakens his testimony. She weakens his influence. His usefulness is destroyed. He, he's inadequate. He's insufficient. And he's small. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Anybody ever seen a woman disgrace her husband and you just, you just cringe for that man? Amen? Um, a few ways that a wife can weaken her husband is to talk about him in a negative way others. That's a big no-no. You don't talk about your husband in a, in a negative way to other people. His faults, his shortcomings, things he might be going with, he, his heart should be trusting in you. Another way that you can be rottenness in his bones, if you fail to be a helpmeet for him, but rather expect him to help you rather than the other way around. Does this mean a husband can't help his wife? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if you refuse to believe that you can have the victory, that you can't accomplish everything you have to do, what God's called you to do without his help, then you're wrong. That's unbiblical. I, th I mean, just think about it. The Bible says we are to be help meet to our husband, not the other way around. We are created to help them accomplish what God has called them to do and what he's called our families to do. Another way is to talk down to him, to point out every time he makes a mistake, to treat him like he's five years old instead of the authority of the home. And, and a lot of times this might happen, you know, um, you're in, in the general mode, all day long, dealing with the children. Just, you know, we got to do school. We're doing this. Do this. Do that. Do that. And your husband walks in the door and you're like, do, 
No, wrong one. He's not five. <laughs> He's a little bit bigger than the rest of the clan. Now, you know, we need to be very careful of that. Um, to focus on his failures rather than his successes. And, and that's just, you know, where he's failed in times past. Maybe he hadn't been the husband that he should have been. Or maybe uh, he didn't, wasn't, you know, the father that he shouldn't been. Don't bring that up every time there's a disagreement or, you know, let that go. If he's repented of that and he's walking on, then you let that go. Just be a blessing. Just bless him. Another way that we might be rottenness in his bones, if we keep our home in a way that would make him hesitate to extend hospitality to somebody else. He doesn't want to invite somebody over because we got the house looking like a pig pen. And he knows that if they come home, he's going to be ashamed of the way his wife has her home. You could dress in a way that's displeasing to him. You can reinforce negative attitudes in the children towards him. That's another big no-no. You should always, always, always lift up and esteem your husband to the children. If there's something to be talked about, discussed, corrected, whatever, you do that privately, not in front of your children. These are just a few ways that you can be rottenness in your husband's bones. And I, I won't, I'm sure y'all be glad to know that's, that's all I'm going to talk about that tonight. What I want to talk about for the rest of the night is how a wife can be a crown to her husband. The first part of our text tonight says that a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Amen? I want to be a crown to my husband. I want to shine upon his head and just... When people see me and my children, even if they see me without my husband, I mean, I, if they see him and then they say, oh, I saw your wife and your children the other day. And they were just such a blessing. And I just want to be a testimony to him. I want to make him as useful and productive to the kingdom of God as he can be, as God wants him to be. I want to help him. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. I want to be a good thing to my husband tonight. Whoso finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor of the Lord. Proverbs 19 and 14 says, Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Matthew Henry's commentary on Proverbs 12 and 4 says this, a wife who is pious, prudent, and looks well to the ways of her household, who makes conscience of her duty and can bear crosses, such a one is an honor and a comfort to her husband. She that is the reverse of this preys upon him and consumes him. So tonight I want to take the, take the word crown and I'm going to take each letter of the word crown, and I'm going to use that to talk about different ways that we can be a crown to our husband. I don't know for our writing class if that's called an acrostic or an acronym or either one of those. I looked up those words, and I couldn't get the exact, if I was doing exactly what seemed like a cross between the two. So the first letter of the word crown tonight is C. And 
I'm going to talk about our chase conversation. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And those words tonight, it means to be pure from all fault. To be clean, to be holy, to be free from any defilement, to act in a, in a way, to act and behave in the most pure and modest way possible. That's what a chaste conversation means. Your life should be such a one that it bears the mark of true Christian fruit at all times, in all circumstances. And of course, you know, that's the, the resounding scripture people use for a husband that's unsaved. And I found this quote as I was studying by John Bunyan. And of course, John Bunyan's my, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite of all writers and preachers. John Bunyan said this to the converted wife of an unconverted husband. Therefore, be thou very faithful to in all the things of this life. Bear with patience his unruly behavior. Thou art alive, he is dead. Thou art principled with grace, he with sin. Now, seeing grace is stronger than sin and virtue than vice, be not overcome with his vileness, but overcome that with thy virtues. In other words, you have the grace in your life to overcome. He's dead in his sin. He's doing what sinners do. He's being a sinner. You have the grace of God in your life. Overcome evil with good. And this could be said even, you know, if her husband is not obeying in some specific area the Word of God, he may not have light in that area. You can win him by your pure, modest, chaste lifestyle. By the grace of God, so the grace of God can so shine in your life that you can win your husband, that he could see the light in a certain particular area. So the first thing is our chaste conversation. By our chaste conversation, our pure life, we are a crown to our husbands. The second word under C is contentment. 1 Timothy 6 and 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. Philippians 4 and 11 says, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What's your attitude tonight for what God's called you to be? Are you surrendered to being a wife, to being a mother, to being a helpmeet? Are you content in that role that he's called you to? We live in an hour where very few women are content. You got this one taking Prozac for this, and this one, 
you know, going to the doctor for this and this one taking this herb for this and that. And I'm talking about depression kind of stuff. Um, um, you know, all, all kinds of things. But we're to be content in what God's called us to be as, as mothers and as wives. To be content with your purpose, what you, what you were created for, the place that God's called you to, and the provision that he's provided for you. That'll bring great peace and fulfillment in your life. We should always rejoice in our God-ordained roles as a wife and a mother, constantly seeking to fulfill God's will for our families. We should always be content with the provision that our husband brings home for our family. It may be small, it may be big, but we're to be content with that. And we're to seek to be frugal and prudent wives with what the Lord gives us. First Thessalonians 5 and 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A heart of contentment will be thankful in everything. With a heart of contentment and thanksgiving, we are a crown to our husbands. And the third thing I want to talk about under C is our countenance. Proverbs 15 and 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Is anybody in here merry tonight? Remember, your countenance is a reflection of your husband. If you are content, your heart will be merry and your countenance will be cheerful. But if you're cast down and full of self-pity and exhaustion and offense, then your countenance will reflect this also. We need to be mindful of our faces. Amen? Amen. It seems like every time I have a ladies' meeting, I cover this topic, doesn't it? Y'all don't remember? It, I do, every time we have a ladies' meeting, because I believe it's very important, very important. It brings a reproach upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus if, we're, if our countenance is not one of cheerfulness and joy and thanksgiving. Not only that, we all have heard the accusations that have been hurled against us as women of being suppressed and in bondage, right? You've heard those at LSU when we're out there, those ladies with those dresses dragging the ground in bondage to those husbands. Got 15 kids. I'm amazed, ladies, that I would even have to cover this. After hearing those accusations, knowing what people have said, that we would still walk around just defeated and exhausted and this is so hard and worn out. Look, it shouldn't be that way. The Bible says in Psalms 113 and 9, who knows that scripture? Everybody should know that scripture. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord, it says. 
Psalm 42 and 11 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. We are obligated by the word of God to choose, it's a choice, choose to walk in victory and our countenance should always reflect a joyful heart. Amen. Did y'all hear me tonight? So next time when we have a ladies' meeting, I say, I talk about this every time we have a ladies' meeting. Y'all remember? Y'all would be able to go, we remember. Like this. We remember. (laughs) So, with a cheerful countenance, we are a crown to our husbands. The next letter is R. And we're going to talk about reverence. The wife has a biblical responsibility to reverence her husband. Ephesians 5 and 33 says, And the wife see that she reverence her husband. That word reverence means to frighten, to be alarmed, to be in awe of, to revere. Did y'all know that? That's right. We're to reverence our husband's position. Ephesians 5 and 33 is not worded in the Greek as a suggestion either. It doesn't say, we suggest, wives, that you reverence your husband. God doesn't suggest anything. He tells us what to do. And he who loves me keeps my commandments. The Bible says. This means that a wife is to continually choose to reverence her husband. You are commanded by the Word of God to reverence your husband. Is that because he's so godly and such an awesome prayer warrior and just anointed by God and just a just a zealous street preacher? Is that why we should reverence our husband? No. Because of his position, the Bible says, we should reverence him. The respect is to the position that God has placed our husbands in. Not necessarily to his personality or his ability or his character or even whether or not he is right with God. We are to reverence our husbands. It do us good, ladies, to meditate on that. To meditate on the position that God's placed in them. Your children are to honor you because you're a position. We are to reverence our husband. If we, re- if we meditate on that position and the respect that's due him for Jesus' sake, it would help us a whole lot in our responses to our husbands. It will help prevent outwardly dishonoring him and disrespecting him. Remember in 2 Samuel, King David's wife, Michael, the Bible says that she despised David first in her heart. Y'all know what scripture I'm talking about? Y'all know, y'all have heard that story where David comes, 
they bring in the back the presence of God into Israel, the ark of the Lord, and David's dancing with all his might, and she's standing in the, in the window and says she despised him in, his, in her heart. She got offended with him. And when she got offended with him, she then showed disrespect and irreverence by belittling him publicly. She couldn't hide what was in her heart. It came oozing out. As much as you try to hide offense in your heart, it oozes out of your heart. So when we reverence our husband because of his God-given position as head, we are a crown to him. The next letter tonight is O. The Bible says that we are to be obedient to our own husbands. 1 Corinthians 11 3 says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. Titus 2 and 5 says to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Let the word of God be not blasphemed. Ephesians 5 and 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So we notice from these scriptures tonight that we are to submit to our own husbands and not someone else's. Amen? Unless, of course, it's your pastor. Simply put, we are to obey the commands, the desires, the wishes of our own husband as they are expressed to us. Now, what if you tell your child to clean his room? You know, go clean your room. I want this and this done. And, and he says, Miss Becky doesn't make Wesley clean the room like that. I, I don't want to do it like that. I want to do it like, you know, Wesley does it. <laughs> Or, you know, you tell your daughter, go fold the laundry up, and I want the towels stacked thus and such. And Well, Miss Bridget doesn't make Grace fold the laundry like that. I mean, I, I don't want to do it like that. I want to put the towels this way. That wouldn't go over very well, would it? Not in my home, anyway. <laughs> You'd say, I don't care how they do it. <laughs> you're going to do it the way I told you to do it, because you're not Miss Becky's son. And you're not Miss Bridget's daughter. And you're going to do just what I told you to do. Just like the Bible commands children, obey your parents. The Bible tells us to obey our own husbands. His desires, his preferences, his needs, his wishes. Some specific areas that your husband might want done a certain way is the way you dress. Some husbands might prefer skirts rather than jumpers. Ditch the jumpers, wear skirts. Perhaps he, lo he doesn't like big flower print dresses, but he prefers solids. Please him. Just please him. Just please him. Don't be offended with that. Don't you want to be pleasing to your husband? Don't you want to be a crown? Why would that offend you if he tells you, I really, I really don't care for that dress. I, I, I would like you just to you know, to wear, I like that skirt that you have. 
Perhaps it's things that he wants taught the children. Perhaps he wants, I'm just throwing something out. Perhaps he wants you to do scripture memory with the children every morning right after prayer. But you like to do breakfast first. He likes scripture memory done first. Just obey. Just do what pleases him. Just obey him. And these are very minor, small, uh, surface things that I'm talking about. Um, The way you keep your house and run your home, is it in a way that pleases your husband? Perhaps he doesn't like the dining room table all cluttered with school books when he comes home every day. Clean them up. Just clean them up. Just know when he's coming home. He calls and says, I'm on my way home. Okay, children, daddy's on his way home. Let's pick up the books. Maybe he doesn't like you to run to the grocery store at 4 o'clock every afternoon to cook supper. Then plan ahead. Do what's pleasing to him. If he doesn't like that, don't keep doing it. Maybe he doesn't say anything. Maybe he's just, he's voiced his, you know, dislike for that. But, oh well, he, just plan ahead. Plan ahead. Perhaps he likes you to cook a certain way. But you don't think that's healthy or you don't like that. Please him. You're married to him, you're his help me. Please him. Find out the things that please your own husband and seek to fulfill those things. So many times in my marriage, little preferences that Brother Britt has expressed that I thought were no big deal turned out to be a very big deal. And, and off the top of my head, I, I mean, I can think of a few examples. But, I mean, even down to, like, I'm saying something to the children, and I see him look at me, and I know he does not want me to say that. You know, and I could just keep blah, 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 blah going on. But it, so many times I've seen it where if I would have disobeyed in those little teeny things, it would have been a very big deal. And I wish I could think of something off the top of my head. I just, you know, over the years in my marriage, I just know little things that I, I, I just have trusted him in. Trusted. I didn't question him. Okay, he said do it that way. Okay, fine, doing it that way. And we're going on. And then get, you know, down the road a good ways and find out, thank God I did what he told me to do like he told me to do it. Because it would have been a big deal if I wouldn't have. So when we are obedient to the desires of our own husbands, we are a crown to him. The next thing under O is our outward appearance. You know, that's strange because most of the time people are talking about the inward. But today, I'm, tonight, I'm going to discuss the outward appearance. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4 says, Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price.
know from this scripture that first and foremost, we should have a right heart. Amen? That should be our first um, uh, priority, is that our heart would be right. That is what's most important to God, that our heart would be right. You know, when we see um, a godly woman and, there, and, we, and there's something about her, there's an aura about her, attractiveness about her, you know, a loveliness about her, we know that it's because she has a right spirit. Amen? Her heart's right. She's manifesting Jesus. And we know tonight that if our hearts are right, then other areas of our life will line up with the Word of God as well. And we also know that no amount, amount of attention that we pay to our outward can compensate for what's inside. Right? can dress it up. It can be pretty. It can have the longest dress. It can... You know, but it, if it's not got a right spirit, then we know it's not right. That scripture just popped in my mind in Proverbs about a fair woman without discretion. It's like a, ju- a, a jewel in a swine's snout. Is that how something like that? So it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. If our heart's not right, then it doesn't matter. But nevertheless, I'm going to talk about the outward. A Christian woman should be lovely inwardly and outwardly. If the inward is right, it will show up on the outward. As Christians, we have a responsibility to the world to bring honor to Christ in all that we do. Amen? We have a responsibility to bring glory to God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives. Amen? We represent Him. We are an ambassador for Him. We go forth and represent Him to this world. A Christian woman's appearance, as well as her family's appearance, should be a credit to the Lord at all times. Carelessness about our appearance or our husband's appearance or our children's appearance is no credit to Jesus at all, but actually a discredit. It's a bad testimony, and it's often an indication of laziness. First and foremost, in our outward appearance, we are commanded as women to be modest. Secondly, when you go out in public, especially to church, witnessing around your community, when you're, when you're, of course, you're always representing Jesus, but I'm talking about a function where we are, you know, doing something where we are publicly, you know, representing the Lord. You should be clean and neat. Your clothes should be ironed and matching. Your hair should be washed and brushed. I know you think, I can't believe she's saying this. It's a shame that I have to say this, but we live in a, in a generation where people are unkept. This grunge look, so to speak, that everybody wears around, it shouldn't be named among Christians. Amen? When you, when you read through Proverbs 31, you are never left with the impression that the virtuous woman was shabby and worn out and haphazardly dressed. Do you? 
I never, ever, ever, ever since the day I got born again and read Proverbs 31 ever thought that about the virtuous woman. Not one time. But in fact, just the opposite. The Proverbs 31 and 22 says, She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Proverbs 31 and 25 says, Strength and honor are her clothing. And those two, those two words, strength and honor, mean majesty, beauty, and excellence. And I know you can apply that spiritually, but, but she wasn't worn out and shabby and haphazardly dressed. She was concerned about her testimony, and not only theirs, but hers, but that of the whole household as well. Our children need to be well kept, clean and neat in appearance. Their greasy hair needs to be washed and combed. Their faces need to be clean, and their clothes need to be clean, not full of holes. Their shoes need to be tied. I know I am taking the sword and jabbing it in right now. But you need to hear this, ladies. You really, really need to hear this. And I want you to understand, let me clarify what I'm saying. I'm not talking about when your kids are playing out in the yard. You know, they need to have... Uh, you understand what I'm saying. So I don't want anybody to go home tonight and tell their husband, I mean, Sister Bridget said, I need to go out and buy new expensive clothes. And, you know, because that's not what I'm saying to you. I told you earlier to be content with what God has provided for you. But you can iron your clothes. You can be neat and clean. And your, your family can be a, a, a reflection of Jesus and, and orderliness. Amen? I, I'll never forget when I first got born again, and then um, I'm living with my pastor and his family, and um, Brother Britt and I began a courtship. And Brother Britt was bound by drugs, very, just very much a hippie. So when I got born again, Brother Britt, and only been saved for a couple years. And uh, he's still dressed pretty rough. <laughs> you know, real worn out, no, not ironed, not, you know, he had these old black Converse tennis shoes that, you know, those kind of tie Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'll never forget those things. And he had this green shirt and had these black leaves on it. For the life of me, they look like, marijuana leaves <laughs> and that's what i can just still see brother brit in those worn out khaki pants they weren't that but you know what i'm saying and and it, and and so i remember my pastor talking to me one day and telling me that he wanted me to talk to, to him i thought what are you kidding but anyway i did i mean i did as he told me to do he, he wanted me to talk to him and tell him that he was an ambassador for christ and that he was a representative, and he's preaching the gospel on the streets, and he needed to look, you know, I'm not talking about going by a three-piece suit. And y'all know, Brother Brett, don't even, rarely ever puts a suit on. I'm not, please, y'all know what I'm talking about tonight, amen? I'm just talking about being neat and clean in your appearance. took care of it immediately. So, um, let me see where I was at here. Our children are to be neat and well kept. Now, the accusations hurled at large families and at the homeschool community in general 
is that we can't take care of our children. You know, they, uh, um, you know, we, we're just, we got these large families and they're just a mess and unkept. And, and don't give any credence to this accusation by being a slob out in public. Amen? There is rarely a time that I go in public with my children that people don't walk up to me and comment about my children being clean and neat. And and some of you have even been with me when they've done it. For the life of me, I don't understand why anybody would walk up to somebody and say that. I never, you know, I might say, oh, that's a sweet little girl. Her dress is pretty, but, oh, your children are all so clean and neat. Their faces are clean. That is strange. But nevertheless, what it tells me is people are looking at me closely. So I need to be mindful of that. Her husband also was well taken care of. Proverbs 31 and 23, I quoted this earlier tonight. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Adam Clark's commentary, which was written in the 1700s, says this. One of the reasons for this respect to her husband is because of the neatness and cleanness of his dress and his person. I thought that was so interesting. Obviously, by the way she cares for her family and her household, she has caused her husband to rise to prominence in his community. Make sure that your husband's clothes are pressed and neat, and especially when he's preaching the gospel. He represents Jesus. You should be concerned about the appearance of your family because it is a direct reflection upon you. Again, I want to clarify this before I go to the next point. This does not mean that I'm telling you, you all need to go out and buy new and expensive clothes. Do you all understand that? This does not mean that there will never be any exceptions to this. That, you know, something happened, you had to hurry up and run to the grocery store, the kids are all playing in the yard, and you had to get them and go. You understand me, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying on something that's, when you go to church... We're going out to preach at the River Center. We're going to LSU. Your family needs to have an appearance of order and cleanness and neatness. You should always be mindful of your testimony. Another thing, this is something I just wrote in my notes, and I just am going to touch on this because this is not what I wanted to talk about in Outward Adorning, but... You should want to be that for your husband. And he's out in the world all day with all manner of nakedness and ungodliness. And you know, he, you know he's coming home and you've been frying pork chops. you got flour on your face and your hair's all up and greasy. And you know, and your dress is splattered with grease. I mean, go, you know, you, you, go, go change your clothes. Clean up. Brush your hair. You know, look presentable to your husband. I mean, that would be a blessing. And I know sometimes time runs out and you can't always do that, but but you want to be pleasing to him, that he would desire you, especially, you know, with with all the, the, the temptation and ungodliness that he faces every day out in the world. So when you are attentive to the details of your family's appearance, you are a crown to your husband. Can I finish tonight? Are y'all with me? i still got a, a little ways to go. The next thing under O is others. 
others. John 13, verses 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John 15, 11 and 12 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye have love, that ye love one another as I have loved you. First John 3 and 11 says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And First Thessalonians 4 and 9 says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto ye, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And there were so many scriptures that said that. I couldn't even put all of them down. I don't know how many of you saw the Duggars' little second show, but on there one of the little girls says, uh, Joy. And she says, Jesus first, others second, yourselves last. I don't know if y'all caught that. I think that's probably an a ATI thing, but um, it stuck out in my mind. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. I thought that was so good. But sometimes I think we have that backwards even among ourselves. There's sometimes, there seems to be a lack of love among us as Christians, as sisters, as friends. Why? We are commanded by God to love one another. They said, by this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one to another. Sometimes there seems to be among us a real protecting of ourselves, of our own. An attitude of, ain't nobody going to use me up in here. That's so wrong. So wrong. And I, really, I had to repent. When I started studying this out, I, I, my heart was convicted. I, I, was, I was just broken. Because I just found some, some selfishness in my own heart that I had to just ask God to forgive me about. Perhaps there's even sometimes a suspicious quality about it. You know, we're not going to be wrong if we help one another. If I help somebody and I get used, I'm not going to be wrong. God's not going to be angry with me. If, if I get used, it's not my problem. I, I serve. I was a blessing. I helped the poor and the needy. We need to be, remember that. Listen to some of the attributes of love listed in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity, which is love, charity suffereth long and is kind. In other words, love is patient and acts benevolently. Charity envieth not. In other words, love is not jealous of others. It seeketh not her own. Love is not selfish. It is not easily provoked. It's not love is not easily frustrated. And love thinks no evil. Supposing or assuming wrong. Our first thoughts of one another should not be evil. You know? We shouldn't be thinking by something somebody said. 
we should think no evil. I'm just going to give them people the benefit of the doubt that they didn't, they didn't realize what they said to me. They didn't realize what they did. They weren't purposely trying to hurt me. And if they were, I'm not going to be wrong for thinking the right way. God has entrusted each of us in here with gifts and talents that the Lord has given us. And we should be using those to bless others. For some of you, it may be organizing. You might be good at organizing. You might be a wonderful cook. You might be wonderful at writing thank you notes. I know Rachel, every time I give her a book or do something for her family, I am going to get a note in the mail from her and her children. And that is a blessing. My children are just like, Mama, let me see, let me see, let me see. It's a blessing. Sewing, you might be able to sew. You might be able to sing. You might be able to clean like Sister Becky. Helping another mother with homeschooling. Look around for ways to bless one another. We shouldn't be so self-consumed. We're supposed to be the family of God. Amen? Ooh, it's quiet up in here. I'm glad that air conditioning's going. Listen to this quote. How many of you know, have ever heard of Tertullian? He was a way back in the early church. He was a, a church father. It said the primitive Christians were particularly known by this among the Gentiles. Tertullian, in his apology, gives us their very words. See, said they, how they love one another and are ready to lay down their lives for each other. We should be more than willing to become personally involved in the lives of others. And especially if your husband is in a leadership position or has the call of God on his life, you need to get used to it. You need to start serving other people and just learn because that is going to be your life. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Proverbs 31 and 20 says that she stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. This verse shows us that she doesn't wait for the poor and needy to come to her, does she? She goes to them. She's looking for ways. You know, just like... Uh, uh, Kelly at the um, bygone store over here. You know, she had surgery this past week, and she's not born again to my knowledge, you know, but, I mean, there was a way that we could bless her. She had surgery. I thought, we can cook for her. Well, that's something we can do. We could be a light to her, you know, and it was. It was a great blessing. I, we brought her food yesterday, and she was so thankful. I'm going to bring her two more meals on, on Thursday, and and that speaks volumes to people because people are selfish in this hour. They are selfish. They're looking out for me, myself, and I. The virtuous woman was generous, she was merciful, and she was sensitive to the needs of others. She is a willing and cheerful giver. She's never too busy with her own affairs to go to the aid of others. She's not self-consumed. I know we're all busy. Most of our husbands in here have their own businesses. You know, they preach the gospel more, you know, once, twice, three times a week. There's, there's lots of things. We homeschool our children. But nevertheless, 
we should always be looking for opportunities to help somebody. For someone in our church, especially among us. This woman is truly a servant, one who is no respecter of persons, but makes herself available whenever and wherever the need is. In here and out there. First Peter four and eight through four, eight through ten says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. When our lives are an expression of love, the love of Jesus to others, then we are a crown to our husbands. We're getting done here, ladies. The next letter is W. Wisdom. She's wise. Proverbs 4 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs 31.26 says, She opened her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And Proverbs 24.3 says, Through wisdom is in house building, builded, and by understanding it is established. Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hand. Adam Clark's commentary said this about that verse. By her prudent and industrious management, she increases property in the family, furniture in the house, and food and raiment for her household. This is the true building of a house. The thriftless wife acts differently, and the opposite is the result. House, household furniture is far from being increased. It's dilapidated, and her household are ill-fed, ill-clothed, and worse educated. These scriptures literally mean it takes wisdom to build a house and to run the household affairs, to build a family. We're, we all have unique areas, you know, in our households that we need wisdom in. You know, somebody has something in their home that... I might not have it in my home. They, and, and, and Miss Suzanne might need wisdom, uh, you know, to run that area of her house that I know nothing about because I don't have that particular thing. But then we all have areas that are common. Some of the things that are common is we need wisdom to homeschool our children, right? To know what the Lord would have us to study, what curriculum we should use, what works best for our family, how to implement a schedule in our day. I need wisdom to know those things. You know, Becky, speaking of unique situations, Becky, because of her husband, she has a unique situa situation. And she needs much wisdom <laughs> to discern what she's to do on certain things. You know, we need wisdom to train our children in righteousness. Amen? To know their habits, their actions, their speech, what's going on with them during the day, to discern when things are amiss in their lives. Right? You need wisdom as a mother to know those things. This is one area that we really, really, really need wisdom in with our children. We only get one shot. You better not let things slip here. One thing I want to just bring up here real quick is, you know, ladies, when you see your daughters being silly, 
and loud and foolish and bossy and mouthy and drawing attention to themselves, you'd better not say, oh, that's a silly little girl. You better not do that. You better deal with it today. You better wake up and deal with it today. Or one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have a monster on your hands. You hear me? And in a few years you're going to wonder, where did this come from? And all along it was right there underneath our eyes for us to see, to deal with. And we left them to themselves. God forbid that we would do that. Study to know your children's hearts. And God will give discernment to you for each one of your children. Cultivate a relationship with them. They should want to talk to you. They should be coming. You know, our children are getting older. Your children should be coming to you, discussing things with you, talking about things, little struggles that they're going through in their life that's very real to them. They're little people. They need us. We need to be there for them. We need to have a relationship with them. They, they need to be able to come to us. Mom and daddy to pray with them. Mom and daddy to counsel them. Mom and Daddy to spank them. Give them godly exhortation, whatever it might be. We need wisdom in this area. You should know where your children are at all times. If they're out in the yard playing, you better know where they're at. You better know what they're playing. And you better know what they're talking about. I am not joking. I'm dead serious. My children are older than anyone most any you know i have older children i know some of my children are the same age as yours but i have some older children in here and i'm telling you you better know what's going on we need wisdom to manage our household to learn how to be scheduled organized orderly how to be prudent make the most of the provision that god has provided for our family you know and thank god the bible says if any lack wisdom let him ask. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We can ask God for wisdom, and he desires to give us wisdom. Let him ask that giveth to all men liberally. A man needs to be able to trust his wife to be dependable in her domain. To be dependable in the area of her domestic responsibility requires discipline, diligence, the ability to follow a set of priorities, and genuine concern and comfort for the welfare of her family. Your husband ought to be able to trust that you are taking care of what God's called you, entrusted you to take care of. When I was studying for this message, I was reading all kinds of stuff, and this was something that I ran across that I thought was very good. I don't really know who it was by. It was some website called Sound Doctrine or something. When I was studying, this is what it said. It is evident that the Proverbs 31 is, woman is dedicated to the welfare of her household. God does not unreasonably expect more from us than he has given us the ability and the strength to do. That's a common warfare. I can't do everything I have to do. God is not unreasonable. He would be unreasonable. I have to get that through my head sometimes too to expect more from us than he has given us the ability and the strength to do. Verse 13 says, She worketh willingly with her hands. Worketh willingly is a mental attitude. It is being pleased with housework, 
having a desire to do it, and taking delight in doing it, all for the purpose of glorifying God. No one expects a woman to like everything she has to do, dusting, ironing, washing the dishes, matching socks. However, God does expect Christian women to do these things joyfully and willingly as unto Him. In other words, be surrendered. Just surrender it. Stop fighting it. And just do what God's called you to do. When you do these things with a willing spirit, your example will be a reflection on your children, their approach to life. This will carry over into their walk with the Lord and how they will respond when He tells them to do something. Colossians 3 and 17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I just thought that was very good. I didn't think I could say it any better, so I just thought I would read it. What is the atmosphere of your home when your husband steps through the door each day? Think about it. What is the atmosphere in your home? Toys all over the floor, children screaming, running around, spaghetti dripped down their t-shirt, running around in diapers, just chaos and confusion, turmoil, discontentment. Or does he find peace and contentment, a haven of rest from a stressful day? Are you seeking to minister to him? When he comes home, are you seeking for him to minister to you? He walks through the door. He's worn out. He's worked 12 hours in the hot sun. And you're like, oh, thank God you're home. These kids are driving me crazy. And, and you know, this one did this and this one did this and this one did this one. I mean, I just need five minutes, please. I just need five minutes. Can I just get alone? I mean, and he's like, No, we should be prepared. Daddy's getting home in just an hour or two. I need to have supper going. I need to have a nice aroma in the house. And we need to be... Every day when my children... When, when Daddy's coming home from work, and I, I'm not joking, my, that my children have a little chant that they do. I mean, because from the time that, that Michael was born, we used to stand and wait for Britt to come home at the door. And I'd always say... Daddy's coming home. Daddy's almost home. Daddy's going to be home. It's 5.30. Daddy's going to be home soon. Daddy's coming home. Daddy's coming home. And so from always we've done that. Now Micah's 15. So when Daddy's coming down the road, they're usually waiting and watching. And as Daddy's turning in the driveway there, Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And they do this every day. And last night, Britt got home late. I'm in the middle of reading to the children. I had them all in their pallets. And then we were reading the story, and they saw the lights go by the window, and Daddy's home! Wait up! I'm reading to y'all! They were gone. Daddy was home. I'm so thankful that my children are like that. The last thing tonight, when you are a wise woman building your house upon the rock, you are a crown to your husband. And the last letter tonight is in. And this one will kind of have a negative connotation because I couldn't come up with an N, N word for a, But um, it's nagging. Nagging. That should not be named among us if we're seeking to be crowns for our husband. Um, 
A nagging woman is a one that is full of discord and strife and quarrelsome and hateful and a discontented woman. And all those words that I just said to you are the meaning of all these scriptures that I'm about to read you, what they actually mean in the, in the Bible. Proverbs 21:19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Proverbs 19 and 13. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. You ever had a leaky faucet? Proverbs 27:15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Proverbs 25 and 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. And Proverbs 30 and 21 through 23 says, For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four things, four things which it cannot bear, for an odious or a hateful woman when she's married. Proverbs 13 and 10 says, Only by pride comes contention. If there is strife and discord in your home, there's disorder in your home. Repent. Stop it. Stop it. Today. Stop it. You never have to do it again. You have the grace of God in your life. Amen? You don't have to be overcome with vileness, but overcome evil with good. You can respond rightly. Just repent. Humble yourself. Come under the authority of your husband. You say, well, you know, my husband is difficult to love and honor. It does not negate or excuse your biblical responsibility. I'm sorry that you're married to somebody difficult, if you are. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You're still responsible to obey the Bible. You are still to be His glory and His crown. Even if he's unlovable, even if he's difficult, you can sit upon his head and crown him. Can you do that in your own strength? No, but you can through Jesus. Amen? By being contentious and brawling, you are accomplishing nothing but rotting his bones. You are a crown when you are humble, meek, and quiet to your husband. So the contrast tonight, are you a crown, a testimony? You sit upon you. He's proud to wear you as his crown. Or does he hang his head in shame and grief? Because... You make him ashamed. You're rotten to his bones. Let's run through those letters real quick. See, we had our chase conversation, our contentment, our countenance. R was our reverencing our husband, obedience, outward appearance, others to be full of the wisdom of God, and not to be a nagging wife. 
If we seek to live this kind of life, we will be a crown and a testimony to our husband and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, we will keep the adversaries of the gospel silent. They will not be able to bring a reproach. They won't be able to accuse and find fault. Oh, they might accuse, but there will be nothing legitimate in their accusations. Because if you're living this kind of life, there will be no reproach, and the Word of God won't be blasphemed. Amen? Like I said, the only way that we can be all that Jesus has called us to be is to continually abide in His presence. The Bible says in Acts 17 and 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being. We must seek Him and we must know Him, and His life should permeate everything that we are. The Bible says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. And the last thing that I read tonight in Adam Clark's commentary on this scripture was, Let what she has done be spoken of for a memorial of her. Let her bright example be held forth in the most public places. Let it be set before the eyes of every female, particularly of every wife and especially of every mother. And let them learn from this exemplar what men have a right to expect in their wives, the mistresses of their families, and the mothers of their children. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a crown tonight? May God give us all grace to be a testimony, to be a crown upon our husband's head and and a bride, a faithful bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Father God, for your will to be done in our lives. Oh God, make it a crown, a testimony for you, Father God.